and he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, a sower went, to, went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing, and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were uh, sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. Amen. Thus goes the reading of God's word. May he continue to bless it for us. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God remains forever. Friends, please be seated. So I used to go on runs a lot with both of my AirPods in, and Kathy is a sensible one, and she'd always tell me, you shouldn't do that. It's not safe. Wise counsel, but some lessons are learned better the hard way. And so I remember on a particular day, I have both of my uh, headphones in, and my AirPods were going on, and usually I like to listen to praise songs or uh, sermons as I'm running to kind of get my mind off the burning of my thighs. And in that state, as I'm minding my own business, I realize there's this furry creature that's black with a white stripe, and it's a skunk, and it's like only one feet away from me. I freak out. And then I just, you know, I run to the bushes and I, I never, I, I now run with none of my AirPods in my ears. It just startled me too bad. And that's the thing. I feel like when it comes to our spiritual lives, we have God on audio, but everything else is on visual, how we live in this life. And ever so often, there's a skunk in the middle of the road. You can call it a, a pandemic. You can call it a recession. You can call it life struggles and problems. Whatever it may be, there's always something. God's on audio, but what we so see so vividly, visually, affects everything about us. We freak out. We hide in the bushes. We run. At such crossroads, you wonder, 
What is God really up to? What is God really up to? How do you place trust? How do you place trust in God when something about your life just absolutely doesn't make sense? This is the kind of question that we want to consider in today's parable that Jesus teaches. And we want to look at it in three ways. One, how do we calibrate our minds and hearts? Two, consider the things that are concealed, what's hidden from us. And three, the comfort we can have in such situations in our lives. Let's look at the first part, calibrate. See, the more that Jesus does, the bigger the crowd gets. This time, Mark specifically says it's a very large crowd that surrounds Jesus. So instead of getting caught up in this mosh pit of germy hands grabbing after Jesus to touch him for healing, he gets into a boat and he floats a couple yards away from the crowd. And so here Jesus is, bobbing in the waters. And Jesus teaches them many things in verse 2 in parables. He teaches in parables. And the thing about parables is that it's not just a story. It's not exactly like Aesop's fables where you're trying to discern what is the moral of this story? Is it just to be nicer? Is it just to be kinder? That's not the point of parables. What parables are used for is that they reveal what the kingdom of God is truly like, what it means to belong to the spiritual. Parables reveal God's kingdom. And look at how Jesus opens and ends his parable to this crowd. Look at verse 3. Listen. Listen. It's the very first time Jesus utters this word in Mark. Listen. And yet, how does he end his parable? Verse 9. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Starting to get the theme here? Listening. There's so much literature out there on how to be an effective communicator or a better leader or how to be more productive. So many skill sets that are being taught. But when's the last time you heard a book or a talk on how to be a better listener? There's not much out there. And if anything, this is the most important skill that needs to be rediscovered today. Listening. That according to Jesus, listening goes hand in hand with believing. It goes hand in hand with believing. So far, this crowd, they're used to seeing with their eyes the miracles of Jesus doing all these healings. And yet, as far as we can tell, no one comes to faith. Jesus heals and yet they still don't believe in who Jesus is. And in this parable, Jesus explicitly says that the seed represents God's word, the Bible, essentially. And it's planted on four different types of soil, which represents our hearts or our spiritual lives. And a lot of times when you uh, hear about this parable, it's turned into this little diagnostic test on what is the spiritual condition of your heart. What's the condition of your lives? Which soil do you most resonate with? Is your heart one? Are you a pothole in Fremont that the seed gets lost in? Are you no, soil number two? Are you Death Valley type where you just get scorched up in the sun? Or are you three, an unkept yard with all thorns and thistles? Or are you soil four? That's good. Which one are you? Which one are you? And almost everyone refers themselves to soil number three. And then it's always followed up with this question of, how can you be good soil? 
how can you be like good soil? And you'll think of things like sleep earlier on a Saturday or, or you know, do more of my quiet times with God. That's how I can be better soil. But I don't think that's the entire point of this parable. It's not the par- uh, point of this parable. Because when I look at this passage, are there not times when we are all four types of soils in our lives? That all four types of soils really reflect how we are in different seasons of our lives? Are there not times when God clearly calls us to obey and we know that this is true and yet we turn away from God and we say, no, not not today? Soil number one, pothole soil. Are there not times when we hear something that seems so convicting, whether it's a podcast or a sermon we heard or maybe it's some Christian writer that we read and we thought that was so insightful and inspiring, and a couple minutes later, kind of don't think about it anymore. Soil number two, Death Valley soil. Or are there not also times when we hear God's word and we say, okay, this is true, but we automatically look at our bank statements and we think, oh my gosh, I got to do it my way. I got this. Life's in my hands. Soil number three. And there are also times where there's good soil, when we're utterly convicted by who God is, and we do what he says. The thing is, these four types of soils, we've all experienced them from time to time. The point of emphasis that I think that Jesus gives this parable for is the fact that the word is constantly planted everywhere, regardless of where it lands. That he's constantly planting. The word is everywhere because all of creation was created by the power of God's word. I know that sounds abstract, so stay with me here. The point is just this. God still reveals himself in the world. It's his world. But the world is such a broken place that sometimes it's very hard to believe. And this is why God gives us his words through the Bible to recalibrate our minds and our hearts. The Bible is written to be spoken. It's meant to be heard more than it's actually meant to be read. This was written in an oral culture where everyone heard and that's how they learned. And according to this parable, you listened your way into God's kingdom. You listened your way into God's kingdom. And it's crucial to belong to a community where the word of God is constantly being heard. I know that as a pastor, I'm, so, I'm, I'm paid to have faith, right? It's part of my occupation. But this doesn't mean that my faith gets shaken from time to time. I have my weeks just like you. When I'm in that kind of mood where I wonder what is God really up to, what is he really doing, I spend more of my energy listening to the church sing. I know we don't exactly sing the Bible, but they're the truth of what God says in his word. And when I hear others singing the praises of God, I'm reminded he's still there. It lifts my spirits because I know someone here has good soil to share with me in thorny and rocky seasons of my life. Speaking truth in love, it's life-giving. It's life-giving for all of us. The Bible was meant to be heard 
that when someone, perhaps when someone struggles with their significance, maybe it's with work, maybe it's with their relational status, whatever it is, as they navigate through all this, how life-giving would it be to reaffirm that brother or sister that our identity is in Christ, that we are a new creation? 2 Corinthians 5.21. Or when it comes to perhaps someone who's just hit rock bottom in their lives and they feel like an absolute failure, a failure at everything, there's a word that God has for this, that I have loved you with an everlasting love. Jeremiah 31.3. That's what the Bible is meant to do. God, God is calibrating our hearts to his word. You might see one thing, but God is saying another. But if this word is supposed to be life-giving, why don't we see the fruits that we, we feel like it should be having in our lives or in this world? Right? That's the question we have. If the word of God is supposed to be life-giving, why does it have as much fruit as it should bear? The parable gives us something to consider, something that we perhaps can't see that's hidden, something that's concealed. Which brings us to the second point here. Consider what's concealed. There's no such things as dumb questions. And this is a, supposed to encourage everyone to ask questions, no matter how ignorant they are. And the disciples admit, we don't get what you're saying, Jesus. And yet here's Jesus' response to that. Verse 11. To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, Everything is in parables. This is a very conflicting statement. Because Jesus is telling the disciples, because you are with me, you should know the secrets of the kingdom. But everyone who's not with me, they are outsiders. They won't get it. They won't get it. I imagine this scene to be like going to the uh, MoMA Museum of Modern Art at SF pretending like you know what you're looking at at all these art pieces and you know what the artist is conveying to you and everyone just kind of plays along with it, but no one really understands for certain. That's how I see this. Parables are paradoxes that reveal who God is and what he is up to, while at the same time, parables conceal the mystery of God. They both uncover and cover at the same time. You ever watch this Netflix documentary? It's called A Trip to Infinity. And it's about, uh, it's, it's a documentary based on different mathematicians and astrophysicists and cosmo, cosmo, cosmologists. I can't pronounce that for some reason. Smart guys, basically. And they all give their take on how the universe will end. How the universe is going to end. And one cosmologist said this, that there will be one last sentient being alive to give the final thought before the universe ends. That all of humanity, its greatest accomplishments, will be engulfed uh, by a giant black hole in the blink of an eye. All our greatest achievements, everything that Albert Einstein came up with, the inventions that we have, all of man's greatest feats, gone in the blink of an eye by a black hole. Everything will be insignificant as we are consumed by eternal darkness. Isn't that such a wonderful message for Mother's Day? Like nothing you do in parenting is good. Happy Mother's Day. Doesn't matter. So many questions. 
what's the purpose of life then? How can we all look at the same universe with people agreeing with the conclusions of this documentary and at the other, other end, people seeing the universe and seeing that there is a creator God who designed the universe with a specific purpose. And yet this dilemma or coincidence is exactly what the prophet Isaiah describes in verse 12, that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. How can God be like this? Let Isaiah's words sink in. How can God be like this? Why can't God just let everyone see the same thing? What we have to understand about the context of Isaiah's prophecy during that time is that prior to Isaiah saying these exact words, Isaiah confronts the people of God, of Israel, and he confronts them for their idolatry. And instead of turning to God, the leaders of Jerusalem were talking, uh, the leaders of Jerusalem were talking about the people who everyone else is supposed to look up to. You know what they were doing? They weren't seeking God for help. Rather, they were making allegiances with the foreign nations to be their help. And really, Isaiah's quote is simply God just saying, fine, I'll give you what you want. He gave them what they wanted. Parables confront the nature of our faith. Is it the evidence that makes you have faith? Or is it faith that makes you look at the evidence? Which one is it? Because countless times I find these words unsettling, at least this nature of parables. You know, I, I have friends who still struggle with infertility in their lives, and they've, you know, made this a prayer request. Can you pray that we can have a child? And, you know, we pray and pray, and every news that they're pregnant, it's like you pray that they would have a safe pregnancy, but at the same time, you also pray that they wouldn't despair if it doesn't go their way this time. A friend who's struggling with cancer who's 10 years younger than me, and it's stage four, and he's just trying to make it to the next day. In such moments, I wonder, what exactly is God up to? What is God exactly up to? When Jesus says that this is a parable to understand all the other parables in verse 13, it has to make one consider that on another level, life is full of parables, where indeed we can see but not perceive, hear, but not understand. And you can only have two conclusions. Either God is here or he's not. He's here or he's not. No in-between here. There's a singer who goes by the name of Nightbird. Her name is Jane. She was on America's Got Talent, but last year in February, she died at 31 years of age. She struggled with cancer. And during her struggle with cancer, she wrote this reflection on what her relationship with God has been like in such a tumultuous time of her life. And she wrote, I want to share something she wrote. I just took some excerpts out of this. She said this, I remind myself I am praying to a God 
who let Israel, Israelites stay lost for decades. They begged to arrive in the promised land, but instead he let them wander, answering prayers that they didn't pray for. Every morning, God sent his mercy bread from heaven. I looked hard for the mercy bread that he promised to bake, bake fresh loaves for me each morning. The Israelites, they called him manna, which means, what is it? The same question I'm asking again and again. There's mercy here somewhere, but what is it? What is it? What is it? Well, I see mercy in the dusty sunlight that outlines the trees, in my mother's crooked hands, in the blanket that my friend left for me, in the harmony of the wind chimes. It's not that mercy I asked for, but it's mercy nonetheless. And then I learned a new prayer. Thank you. So call me cursed, call me lost, call me scorned. But that's not all. Call me chosen, blessed, sought after. Call me the one that God whispers his secrets to. Because I am the one whose belly is full of loaves with mercy that were hidden for me. That even on days when I'm not so sick, I lay on the mat in the afternoon light to listen Listen for him. I know it sounds crazy, and I can't really explain it, but God is in there. And even now, I have heard said that some people can't see God because they, want, they won't look low enough. Because it's true. Look lower. God is on the bathroom floor. God is on the bathroom floor. You know what she articulates so poetically? is how God is hidden, but he's hidden in plain sight. He's hidden in plain sight. It's the comfort we can have that God has never left his sight on us, which brings us to this last point here. See, why can't God let us understand everything that he's doing now? Why does life have to be in parable so often? I see it this way. There's marvelous technology where the deaf can now start hearing. They have these special hearing aids. But when the deaf first put it on, they put on these hearing aids, but it's not on the normal volume. Instead, they have a dampened volume. Uh, it's, it's a very quieter uh, volume level for them. And they do this because for someone who hears for the first time, their eardrums aren't developed yet. And so if they hear at a normal, uh, at, at a normal volume, their eardrums can pop. So the volume has to be slowly adjusted, little by little. It's the same for our spiritual lives, that God slowly reveals himself to strengthen our faith, little by little by little. He adjusts the knob in our lives. We don't have to know God fully to know him truly. We don't have to know God fully to know him truly. Trust is created out of, out of the soil of what we can't understand. See, there's no need to trust if you know everything. Yet as our knowledge grows, so, does it, so do the things that we don't know. Life is full of parables. Sometimes our heart are rocky. Sometimes it's prickly. And it's hard to hear God in these moments because we just want him to make good for what he says in his words. 
Make good on your words. God does more than make good on his word. Jesus becomes the word became flesh. The word became flesh to dwell among us. Jesus himself had to trust God and it was a perfect trust that God, Jesus had in God, God the Father. And for this perfect trust, he's supposed to have a perfect life in return. And yet the only time God doesn't make good on his promise or good on his word is actually at the cross because the word became broken for a faithless people. Also that God can make good on his promise towards you. That he will never forsake you he will never leave you. Life may be full of parables, but the parable we're ultimately given is a parable of grace. How Jesus can so love us, so accept us, despite how often we lack our trust in him. That out of everything that God wants you to understand is his tender and gentle heart towards you. And that every week, he never stops offering himself to you. He is more than just good on his word. He is gracious. If only you would take a second to listen. Would you pray with me? Father God, we have trust issues. We can name all the times where we wonder, what are you doing? But Lord, as we look to the cross, remind us of what grace is. It's something we get, but also don't understand. And yet it's in that intersection of faith and doubt you're willing to meet us. Jesus, we thank you that you are more than just, you're more than willing to just draw near to us every time we call out to you. You're hidden in plain sight. We pray that you would use a church like ours to mediate your words to one another, to be expressions that embody your gracious words. And so, Lord, would you shape us, calibrate our hearts to the word of your cross. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.